Let's pray. Holy God and merciful God, thank you for your word. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds, open our soul, so that you and you alone are our sole focus, our priority in life, that we come ever closer to you, knowing your love for us, and let your love for us fill us so that we love you evermore. In Jesus' name, amen. When you love someone, when you are in a relationship and maybe decide to get married, there seems to be certain stages of love in that relationship, right? In the beginning, they call it the newlywed phase, where everything is fine and whatever that other person does is perfect, right? You've been around newlyweds before and after all, it's like, okay, calm down. But you know, there's that new love. And then you're together for a while and you start to get used to each other and everything is still fine, but you start to settle in, don't you? And then after a while, you start to notice that maybe they weren't exactly who you thought they were. And you start to become a little dissatisfied. And sometimes people become disillusioned, right? And at that time, then you might decide to end that relationship. But, and I can tell you this for a fact, for the people who stick with it, who work at it. And it's work. Everybody who's been married a while know it's work. And it takes commitment. On the other side of that is greater love. It is a, a love that might not have the fiery flames of that new love, but it's a burning ember that is an ever greater comfort and love than you could have imagined. You see, I think our relationship with God kind of goes in stages like that too. Our love for God. When we first know God and know that He loves us, there is a zeal, right? You've been around new Christians and they're like, well, calm down a little bit. A little too much. But they want to talk about God and love all the time. And so what do they do? They join a church and they start to settle in and they get involved in things. And then they notice that not everybody in church is perfect. They're not quite living up to all those particular standards, right? And then they start to study the Bible and you kind of go, well, that's a hard saying. And that's not exactly what I grew up with. And that's, and they become disillusioned, right? And there are times when people become disillusioned at that point that they leave the faith. They say, I no longer believe. But, and can all, I can also attest this as a fact, for those who stick with it and work at their faith. And it is work, by the way, isn't it? For those who know, it's work and a commitment on the other side, is an ever greater knowing God, knowing his love for each one of you, and your heart is filled with a greater love for him. 
that you start to understand there, there's an intimacy, right? An intimacy of knowing God, knowing the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of His love for you. And then your love for Him. So today's Trinity Sunday. And it's really easy just to make Trinity Sunday an academic exercise. Let's define God. But that's not it at all. Not at all. You see, Trinity, Trinity Sunday is not just a study about God. It is about knowing God evermore and knowing the love that he has for you. Ultimately, this message is one of love. The height, the depth, the breadth of God and his love for you. What is that song, the old song? To know him is to love him. And to love him is to know him. So that's what Trinity Sunday is really about. So let's begin loving, knowing and loving God. First of all, we say we believe in one God, right? We believe in one God, not many gods. This fact is attested to in Scripture throughout. And in fact, there's an important part One of the readings today from Deuteronomy is very important to our faith and to understanding God. One God. It's called the Shema, and it's Shema means here. And it begins this way in Deuteronomy. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. By the way, Jesus reiterated this in the Gospel of Mark. It says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is is one. See, why is this important that we confess one God? Because against every other religion and other philosophies and so forth, there are many gods. There are many gods, lowercase g, throughout the world. That was the case in the Old Testament. That was the case in the New Testament, too. So in the Old Testament, there was Baal, there was Asherah and others. The Greeks, they had Zeus, Apollo, Dionysus, Ares, and so forth. The Romans had many other gods as well. But God said, there is one God, and you shall worship him and him alone. There is even one faith that masquerades today as a Christian faith that has more gods than the Romans had gods. Do you know what that faith is? It's Mormon or Mormonism. Mormons say this. And by the way, on the back table, there is a guide to what Mormons believe, if you're interested. And take as many as you want. We print more here. Mormons say that God was once a man and became exalted to Godhood. And you, if you follow the Mormon faith Well, perfectly, I guess. You work really hard at it because you're saved by works in the Mormon faith. 
and you're married, you too can be exalted to godhood and reign over your own planet. Now, I have trouble with my own life. Reigning over another planet does not seem like a good idea. They'd be like, oh yeah, that's the planet Clayton got. You know? So this is... So there... (laughs) There was a little more laughter than I thought on that one. (laughs) So you have thousands upon thousands, if not millions, of gods in the Mormon faith. But against all of this, God says, no, there's only one God and God alone. What commandment do we find that in? It's the first commandment, right? First commandment. I'm going to read the whole thing, verse 1 through 6. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Lord's very clear. There is one God and one God alone, and you shall worship him. You shall not dilute your love with worship or love for other things, idols, or other gods. Now, it also says in here that I the Lord, uh, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Some people have got hung up on that and have left the faith because they don't understand what that means. Jealousy is not some petty little emotion that God has. To be jealous is to be protective of that relationship. And you know this. A wife is protective or jealous of the relationship with her husband. She does not want him to flirt, to fawn over, be devoted, or have an affair with another, right? And a husband is jealous of that relationship with his wife. He is protective. He does not want her to flirt, to be devoted, have an affair with another. You get jealous, There's nothing wrong with that word in this particular context. God says, I'm it. I want that relationship with you and you alone, and I want you to have that relationship with me and me alone above all things. You know, as I I was sitting there before the message, and Regina was reading the word in this, to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, and mind. And I see how far I fall on that. And yet God loves me. He is steadfast in his loves and keeps drawing me closer to him. You see, apart from other religions who have gods that are are unknowable, our God is knowable, to a degree at least, because he is 
personable to us. And we would say one God in three persons. And this is critical. So now let's just go to Trinity for a moment. This word Trinity, in a literal sense, means tri-unity. And we talked about that actually within the confession. The unity of the persons, the three persons of God. So we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, when you're baptized, you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we'd say three persons. Some people might say, oh, hold on, the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity. And I would say, well, yes, that's true. And that's fine. It is a word we use to describe what Scripture declares, what God has declared. So, when we say person, a person is someone who has a distinct or separate identity. And we did that a lot in the creed, didn't we? The Father is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is God, but the Son is not the Father. Right? We did the whole thing there. So there's a distinction between each of the persons of the Trinity. And the distinction helps us to identify who they are. The functions, you could say, that each person has. So the Father has planned salvation for us. And the Father loved the world so much, what did He do? He gave His only Son, right? He sent the Son. And Jesus, because of the love of the Father and the love for you, what did He do? He went to the cross for you to pay the price for your sins. That's the love of the Son. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the function of the Holy Spirit is to, one, work in the lives of believers, but also to convict us of sin. You ever been going along and all of a sudden you're convicted of sin? That would be the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit always points you back to the cross, to Jesus, and to what He has done. So we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but not three gods. One God in three persons because they all have the same essence. Each person of the Trinity has the same essence. What's essence? Well, I realized I used a little bit of a self-referential definition here. That was which is essential for its existence. Okay, that doesn't help a whole lot, right? There you go. Water. H2O. That's what water is. If you mess with that at all and just have HO or H2O2, you get something totally different, right? And it would be poisonous to us. So H2O, that is water. That's what's essential to it. If you take anything away or add something to it, You don't have water, right? You get that. So the question is, what's essential to God? What's essential to God? And there are some attributes, characteristics, 
that are the nature of God. So omnipotent, that means all-powerful. If God is not all-powerful, he's not God. Omniscient, all-knowing. If God is ever surprised by something, he's not God. Omnipresent, God is everywhere. If God is limited by time and space, he's not God. Eternal, immutable, which means unchangeable. There are some in the progressive Christianity that will say God evolves. Nonsense. There is no evolving with God. He is unchangeable. And by the way, if you're ever interested, there's lots of scripture that would point to all of this. So these are some attributes or what is essential to God. But there are other aspects too. That he is the source. He is truth. He is the very source of truth. That he is holy, which is pure. That he is just and righteous. That he is loving and merciful. That he is gracious or grace-filled. All of these things come from God himself. That's who he is. That's who he is. And you can't say, well, God is most of these things. No, God is either these things or he's not. Either God or not God. Jehovah's Witnesses one time, uh, one of the witnesses said, well, we believe that Jesus is close to, to what you think. I went, no, he's either God or not God. You can't have somebody be kind of God. Right? God or not God. The thing is, and this is critical, if you really want to know God who loves you, if you want to know who God is and how much he loves you, then you have to start to understand what is essential to him. You have to really take some time to ponder and say, well, God doesn't change. What does that mean? And his promises then don't change. Oh. Now you have assurance because his promises don't change. And God is holy. You know, I, I am convinced that most people in our culture today don't understand the holiness of God. And I've preached on this and taught on this before. But God is truly holy. He is pure and there's an abhorrence to sin. Not just a little like, eh, I don't like. No, an abhorrence to sin. And see, when you start to understand how holy God is, then you also start to understand that song, Amazing Grace, and you really start to understand it's amazing grace that he would save a wretch like me. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, song contests going on. Uh, America's Got Talent. So I've watched little clips on that. And you see sometimes singers doing Amazing Grace. They had one just recently. I think it was an 11 or 12-year-old who was called up from the audience. This was like a one in a million chance. Called up from the audience to sing. And she sang Amazing Grace. And this little child girl had such a 
powerful voice. And she did all of these, what do you call them? They're flamboyant things about singing. You know, how somebody takes a song and they go, oh, you know, and all over the place. Not like that. Like, yeah, see, my planet would be a non-musical planet, apparently. But she was doing all of this stuff. And I thought, wow, what a voice. I also thought, she has no idea what she's singing. She has no idea what she's singing. And so it pains me to hear some of these singers do all sorts of wonderful gymnastic leaps with their voice. But holy is God. And gracious is God. And that's why around the throne of heaven it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. See, when you start to understand who God is and how holy is, you start to understand the love that God has for you. You have to understand what is essential. So again, God the Father is pure holy. God the Son is pure holy. God the Holy Spirit is pure holy. They have the same essence. And yet we say one in three persons. And so God the Father is God. And God the Father has the power of creation. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, who said? God said, let there be light. He has the power of creation. Also in Job chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? God the Father has a power of creation and he is to be our object of worship. You see, Jesus told the woman at the well, he said this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And yet, as transcendent as he is, as much as we worship him and should, he's also our Father. You see, when Jesus prayed, our Father who art in heaven, and we pray that every, every week, right? But Father means Abba. It's truly a term of endearment toward a child. The best we would say would be like Daddy. So we have a Father who loves us, who cares for us, who wants to see us come to good, not to evil. Our Father, who is in heaven, in this we pray. We also know that Jesus is God the Son. The beginning of the Gospel of John proclaims this so clearly. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There can be no mistake about this. And if you take a look from our reading in Colossians, it's wonderful what it says. For by Him, this is speaking of Jesus, for by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And verse 19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, not just part, but the fullness of God. See, Jesus also claimed to be Yahweh. Remember, Yahweh means I am, and that's the name that God gave to Moses. Moses said, well, what name should I tell other people? What's your name? And God said, I am. Tell them that I am sent, sent, you, sent Moses to them. So you might say, but hold on. Where did Jesus actually claim that he was Yahweh? Well, in John chapter 8, verse 30, uh, 58, Jesus declares before Abraham was, I am. He's saying that before Abraham existed, I existed before him. And he took on the same name that God gave to Moses, I am. This is why the Jews were going to stone him, because he was claiming equality with God. Jesus also accepted worship and glory, things that are prohibited. There's only one God, right? So how could Jesus, if he's not God, accept worship and glory? Jesus prayed this in John chapter 17, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And you also have to know, in the Old Testament, God said, I give my glory to no other. And yet Jesus said that he would have the glory before the world began. And yet God the Son loves you so much that he suffered and died on the cross. It has been said that the nails didn't hold him there on the cross. Love held him there on the cross. Love for the Father, love for you. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. He possesses all the attributes of God. He is associated with God in creation. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. He works with the other persons of the Godhead in the work of redemption. And he's also associated, his name is associated even in baptism, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the person, but God. Paul even has this in his benediction in 2 Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God, the Holy Spirit, loves the Father and the Son and you so much that He came and He'll convict you of sin. That's how much He loves you. doesn't feel like love, though, does it? But He points you to the need of Jesus. And then once you are saved with faith in Christ Jesus, He continues to nudge you, to guide you, to sanctify you 
which is about your holiness, which is who God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And while we can distinguish the persons of the Trinity, we can't divide them. We can't divide the essence. So you can't say that God the Father is up here, which is what most people say. God the Son is a little bit lower, and then we don't know where the Holy Spirit is, but somewhere in there. And that's what people say. And they are ranking God, but you can't because they have the exact same essence. It's mind-bending, isn't it? It's tough to take in. And yet, this is what Scripture attests. This is what God attests. So when you start to think about the Trinity and the triunity and the love of God, you have to understand this, that by His very nature, He is a God of relationship and love. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves the Father, and so on. Because to love in eternity, you need someone to love, don't you? And thus, there is love from the very, very beginning. You see, I said this really was a message of love. See, out of love, the Father had planned salvation. And out of love for us, he sent his only son. And out of love for the Father and for you, for you, the son went to the cross. And out of love for the son and the Father, the Holy Spirit comes and guides you into all truth. Isn't that a perfect relationship of love? This is who God is. You see, to grow in the Christian faith is to grow in love. If you are in the Christian faith and you're not growing in love, you need to put some work in. You need to bring a greater commitment to this relationship you have. As you grow, you grow in love. Who wouldn't want that? And we only grow in love by drawing ever closer to God, by knowing Him more and more. So the question really for you, this day, this week, this year, is how will you grow in the love and knowledge of God? Amen.